Hey, are you glad to be here today? Is the joy of the Lord your strength? Do I have any kids in this audience? I see one. Hi, buddy. What's your name? She... Yes, that name right there. We're so glad you're here. Yes, we got another one. Glad to see... What's your name? Jonathan. I like that name. I'm John. By the way, I love having fun, and today will not be quite like all the other messages you may have heard. Uh, I know you like to teach the Bible systematically. Today will be a little topical, but I have lots of notes for you to take. So grab them, put them out here, and uh, let's get going. I want to start by saying the title of this message is, I want to be just like you. I have a picture of a nice Swedish or Norwegian family. I couldn't find a German family, but welcome back those of you who were in Germany. Welcome back. Let's hear it for them. Yes. Now, this is the deal, man. You invited me back a second time. It's on you, right? I was here last week, and uh, we're going to have some fun. I want to ask you a question. How do you pass on spiritual values to your kids uh, or your grandkids? So let's just uh, talk about the group I'm speaking to. Where are the parents in the audience? Where are you? This will be applicable to you. Where are the grandparents in the audience? This is really applicable to you. Where are the kids in the audience? Yes, you're going to love this. Uh, Where are the aunts and uncles in this audience? Where are those of you who are Sunday school teachers or Bible study leaders or small group leaders in this audience? All of you in this audience should have raised your hand at least once. Uh, And how many of you are alive today? All right, that got us all. All right. Came by car? Good. All right. So the bottom line is we get all kinds of advice about parenting, but I want to talk, this isn't inherently a parenting ministry or message. This is about how do you pass the spiritual baton to those you are investing in. I am very interested in that topic now that I'm a grandparent. I have five grandkids, 11. Oh, well, actually, no, that was odd number. This year's even. Okay, 10, 8, 6, 4, and 6 months. And so, though I was super intentional as a youth pastor, and by the way, I brought two ringers today, two ringers who are like in their, like, 50 now. Two of my former high school students, you wave to Craig and Phil. They're here today. And uh, the good news is I, I have more hair than Craig. It's grayer, but you know, <laughs> at least I still have it. All right. Bottom line is we get all kinds of advice, especially in the parenting realm. Let me give you some quotes that I've collected about parenting advice, especially... Remember, my first kid was 38 years ago. Some of you remember those days when you were first-time parents, all nervous. Here's one. Children today are tyrants. They contradict their parents, gobble their food, and tyrannize their teachers. Yeah, that's from Socrates in 420 BC. Or how about this one from my my favorite theologian, Irma Bombeck, God rest her soul. When traveling on an airline, check the children and sit next to your baggage. And she says, never lend your car to anyone to whom you have given birth. And then, because I lived in Minnesota for 14 years, this is so true. The best years of a man's life are when the kids are old enough to shovel the snow, but too young to drive the car. (laughs) So the bottom line is, we get all kinds of crazy parenting advice, and even if they drive us crazy, Howard Hendricks, a beloved professor from Dallas Seminary, who has gone to be with Jesus now, said this once. He said this, The Christian life is more caught than taught. And I got to tell you, that was so true of my life in the first many, many years of ministry as a youth pastor. I'm pretty sure these two guys don't remember a word of what I said, but we remember experiences that we had together. We were talking, Craig and I, about Mexico, uh, doing that together and all the different kinds of trips that we go on. But the bottom line is, I want to take you through this outline, and let's look at the mentor, because all of you are mentors, and we're going to look at an example of integrity, and our passage today comes from 1 Corinthians 11.1. You go, oh, one verse? This is my kind of preacher. One verse? I can make it last, though. All right? This is how it goes. By the way, this idea of being a model, I was pretty impressed with it, because, you know, recently, my wife's so loving and kind, she said, honey, you're a model husband and grandfather. That just warmed my heart. Have you ever looked up the definition of a model? 
It's a small imitation of the real thing. All right, so um, <laughs> let's look at the command. I'm going to show you some commands from Scripture about this. By the way, it's good that you're laughing. It means you're alive. You have a pulse. We like that. All right? First, by the way, I said I was trying to do a deal today, like buy four, get one free. But here's the deal. Buy one and get a donut. All right, there you go. Um, First, they're free anyway? Oh, sorry. All right. First Corinthians 11.1. 1. Look at the scriptures. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Literally, that's the word tupas used of branding cattle, making a dent, making an example. How about Philippians 3.17? Join with others in following my, say it, example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. In other words, you can say one thing, but if you're doing another, there's a little contradiction there. How about... 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 7 and 9, for you yourselves should know how you ought to follow our example. Interesting enough, none of these people are saying follow Christ. Ooh, well, what is that about? You see, God made you to be an example to the world and to your family and to your Sunday school class, and as you follow Jesus, they get to know Jesus through your life and your example. Now, a couple of quotes here. Albert Schweitzer said it this way, example is not the main thing influencing others. It's the only thing. Or how about James Baldwin? This one I love. It's so true of our Old Testament patriarchs. Children have never been good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. And so the bottom line is we got to be an example. Now, the problem is we're not all that consistent sometimes. So let's look at the consistency principle from 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. So there's this inconsistency thing that if you are not consistent, it confuses those you are leading. Um, and I want to find, because I'm sure there must be one of you in here, where is my perfect parent here today? You are the perfect parent. Would you raise your hand? Notice, children, none of your parents are raising their hand, and you, kids, you did not have to say amen to that. Um, <laughs> we know that we're not perfect, right? We make mistakes. In fact, if we could do a do-over, many of us would say, oh, I'd like to erase that one. I'd like to have a, a do-over. Um, and so the bottom line is we got to live in such a way that our kids and the people we're uh, ministering to can see Jesus, not just hear about Jesus. Abraham Lincoln said it this way, you may fool all the people some of the time, you can even fool some of the people all the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And sometimes I am so consistent in my life in so many ways, but I'm so inconsistent in other areas. Anybody have that dichotomy? Man, I get in the Word every day, but I get on the treadmill every day. Not so much. I drive too fast. I'm just going to admit it, but it only took me like 59 minutes to get here. It's a great day. Um, so we have these inconsistencies, and sometimes that confuses our kids as they look at our lives. Andrew Carnegie said it this way, as I grow older, I pay less attention to what men say, and I just watch what they do. Do you like to watch people? I like to, when I'm sitting at the airport, get there way early and just watch people and the meltdowns that happen at an airport. And by the way, when that happens, doesn't that remind you of how grateful you are you're for your family? Like, at least my grandkids aren't melting down. We were on a flight to Minnesota uh, recently, and I had nine of us, my daughter, son-in-law, five grandkids. We had two rows. They were ours. And I was so proud of my grandkids. But you know what I was more proud of is my daughter, because she kept them occupied for three and a half hours. She had the kit. And now, it was a total disaster on the floor when they left. There are Cheerios everywhere. We got out of that plane quick. Um, here's another one. Uh, George Bernard Shaw, if you must hold yourself up to your children as an object lesson, hold yourself up as an example and not as a warning. That's why I think in the Old Testament, we're all encouraged, right? Because these patriarchs in the Old Testament all messed up big time, right? Let's name one. You tell me how they messed up. Uh, Abraham, how did he mess up? He lied about who his wife was. Well, she's really my sister. Actually, that was a half-truth. Uh, David, well, we won't get into that. We know he really messed up. Uh, you can go on and on and on. And so I think oftentimes the Old Testament examples are little warnings to us that mm, maybe not everybody is so perfect. Should encourage all of us who aren't very perfect, right? 
And uh, I'm proud to say I had no argument with my wife this morning. You said you only had like four hours to. Yeah, but I, it's, a, it's a start, right? And some of you feel like, oh, man, I want to be used by God, but I mess up and I feel imperfect. This is your, this is your happy day because God can use all of us today. Now, this idea of being perfect, let me give you a principle, and I want you to write it down in your notes right now. God is more interested in your direction than your perfection. Got that? God is more interested in your direction than your perfection. I was reminded of this, and uh, how many of you have been to one of my favorite breakfast places in, down in Seal Beach called the Harbor House Cafe? Anybody ever been there? Any of you who were surfers back in the day, because they, uh, they gave you like these burritos and omelets that would feed a small third world country. And, uh, but it was always packed, right? There, you could never get a parking place there. And I remember when our kids were itty bitty. I think Katie was four. John Daniel was maybe 18 months. We came up to go to that restaurant, and there's no parking. So I let uh, John Daniel, who's two, and my wife get off to get on the list. And then Katie and I went searching for a parking spot. Now, the thing is, let me just admit right now, when I'm looking for a parking spot, I am not... I am not very Christian-like. I am going to possess the land. Slay the evildoers who took my parking spot, right? And so I'm driving down, and I'm driving down, and I see this this car backing out like this and going like this. So what do I do? I put on my blinker, and I'm going to signal to the world I'm going to possess that parking spot in just a moment as I turn left. The problem is... As that car leaves, two college girls in a Volkswagen VW convertible whip in and take my spot. Notice I've already owned it, possessed it. That's my spot. Now I got to tell you, the joy of the Lord was not my strength at that point. (laughs) And so I'm driving in and they pulled in. I cannot believe it. They just snaked it. It was like snaking a wave if you're a surfer, like, you don't drop in in front of me. What are you thinking? And so I rolled, this is the days where you rolled down windows. I didn't, you had to use some muscle. And so I, I, ro- I, I cruised by, they're like just getting out of their car, and I can't, I'm confessing it. I admit it was wrong. Do not follow my example, kids. You should not do this at home. And I said, you jerks, you took my parking spot. You said, chill, man, your blood pressure was up. Yeah, kind of. That was not nice. It was not kind. It was not Christ-like. I had that sticker, you know, go to Calvary Chapel. No, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> so they didn't know where I was from, no stickers to identify me, and we drive by. I'm not thinking, okay. Uh, so now we're way down. I'm like, I'm going to park down a mile down PCH. Well, I come back to that uh, spot again. Now I'm coming back this way, so th- that car is on my right. For whatever reason, the girls are still at their car. I don't know if they're, you know, and no offense, any surfer chicks out here, blonde-haired, like, whoa, wow, the waves are gnarly today. No, I don't know uh, why they were there, because they didn't look like they ever ate any food. So the bottom line, they're still there. Uh, That was just a slight comment about something else. Uh, There's two levels of understanding this message. The ones where I say those throwaway lines, and you get it, and the other's like, what is he talking about? Talk to your parents. Anyway, so they are... Over there, and I'm looking the other way. I don't see that they're still there. Katie, who's four years old, rolls down her window, and she says, You jerks! You took my daddy's parking spot! Now, kids, I want to explain something to you. When your parents use all three of your names, first, middle, and last, you are in trouble. So, of course, I said, Katie, Marie, Irwin, what are you? And she, like, got all tense and teary-eyed. What are you saying? Why would you say that? And I had to answer my own question. She had only done what she had just seen her daddy do five minutes earlier. And God hit me between the eyes and said, you know, this parenting thing works a lot better when you live and talk and act in consistency. And I'll never, ever forget that, that she was only following me. So give you a little break today. Sometimes we're not very consistent, and sometimes our kids help remind us of that. Next, 
Thirdly, well, what's the character? If you're going to be a spiritual role model, whether it's a Sunday school teacher, Bible study leader, a grandparent, a parent, what does that look like? What, does that, what do we think that should look like? And so what I did is I studied the word tupos, example, in the New Testament. I said, where is that used and what is it in conjunction with? And I'm going to suggest there are, there, uh, there's a many more, but let's just pick four character qualities where if you're going to grow in Christ, these should be true uh, fruit of your life. Let's look at the first one. You tell me if you can figure out what the word is. You write it in your notes there. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of the way of life and imitate their faith. Very good. You can read and now you can write. So write it in. Humor me. I know maybe some of you are working on a grocery list, but write the word faith in there. If you don't have notes, someone might bring those to you. All right. By the way, welcome to all of those of you on Facebook Live or live streaming today. We're so glad you're here, but you should have been in this room because there's a lot more fun and we're giving out donuts when we're done. All right. Next, 3 John 11. Do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. So goodness. So faith and goodness, two character qualities. Number three, 1 Thessalonians 1.6, you became imitators of us and the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy, even the given by the Holy Spirit. Now, by the way, some of you, your joy is contingent on your first cup of coffee. That is not biblical. That's okay, but you should be joyful regardless of whether there's caffeine in your soul. Then the last one, we don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience, write that one, inherit what has been promised. So we have faith, Goodness, joy, patience. Now, audience participation, by a show of hands, which one, and you got to be honest, can't, you got to vote at least once, you could vote more than once, what needs working in your life? How many say, yeah, faith is what I got to work on in my life, all right? A couple of hands. How about goodness? That's good. That's good because you probably should not beat up on little brother, all right? Uh, joy. How about joy? That, does that... We got a joyful group. Yeah, you're laughing. How many would say patience is the one? Oh, 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 stop. Let's take a picture. 80% of you struggle with patience, and so do I. Now, the bottom line is, why is that? Well, I can tell you way back in the day, there was a famous marriage counselor, speaker, writer guy by the name of Gary Smalley. Does anybody know that name? Gary, again, rest his soul, said, if you want to develop patience, go on a family camping <laughs> vacation. And that reminds me of my friend Bill Arnold, who uh, he, someone said he was selling tents, and he goes, somebody asked him one day, well, how many does that sleep comfortably? It was like a seven-person tent. And he said, none. What do you mean? <laughs> it's a tent, all right? So we decided to go to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. We live in Minnesota. All right, to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Now, back in the day, we don't have the minivan. We don't have, like, the TV that you pop up and you can just play videos. We have a 1994 Honda Accord. I have, like, a, a 10- or 11-year-old and a 9-year-old in the back seat. One's a girl, one's a boy. You would think there was World War III going on in our car driving to Jackson Hole. We're meeting friends from California. We're driving from Minnesota. We'll meet there. Now, uh, you would say, well, why would you do that to yourself? I'm asking myself the same question. Uh, and so we're driving, and John Daniel cannot keep his hands off his sister. He's doing this, that, and the other thing. And um, I wish there was someone who was closer who was a, a kid. Uh, could you help me? Could you just walk up here? I, 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 it won't be that embarrassing. Are you like, you know, an extrovert? Is he an extrovert or not? Okay, so then you're really secretly enjoying this. You get two donuts. Come on up here, all right? So the bottom line is, I hate to pick on an introvert because they like, I ruined them for life. They'll never go back to church. All right, so here, here's what he's doing. I'm not really going to do it to you, but just imagine I was doing this to you. So they're sitting in the back seat of the car. What do you think he's doing with his fingers? After he's done this. And then he wants to do the wet, yeah, you can, you can go, you can have a seat. Yeah, he, he's doing the wet willy thing, and she is beside herself, and she's like, Dad, stop him. And then he, she's got her little camera, those like, you know, that uh, throwaway cameras, 
So she's taking pictures. So he takes his picture and he's taking pictures of his armpits. And just, he is just a gross 10-year-old. Do we have any 10-year-olds in the crowd? Any 10-year-olds? God bless you if you are. You'll become human soon. All right. So the bottom line is he's taking, but I'm, I'm thinking this is very interesting. These poor former high school students are going, we had to listen to this guy every week tell stories like this. Anyway, so the bottom line is she is beside herself. He is not behaving himself. He's like rappelling G.I. Joe's out the window on, on fishing line and cars are swerving like they see little men coming at them. It's just a, not a good scene. So what do you do when you're in a car that's confined like that? And what do parents often do and then fail miserably when they do is they make what? Idle threats. And so what do I say? I say something not so smart like, if you touch your sister again, something really bad's going to happen to you. All right? Well, that's a, that's a challenge to a terrible. Hmm, I wonder how bad it could be. My armpits are pretty smelly. Let's see. Let's see what he does. See, I want to strap him on the top of the car. I want to leave him at the Corn Palace somewhere in, you know, South Dakota. So the bo- how many of you have ever been to the Corn Palace? All right. How many have ever been to Wall Drug? Yeah, we went to all those places, and we had to stop many times along the way just so we could avert murder in our back seat. And so uh, he, 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 he's just egging me on, right? So he does something. I don't know what he does, and Katie starts crying. Now, when your daughter starts crying, it's time to man up, Dad. You better do something about that. Now, I'm not throwing my wife under the bus, but she's like reading her magazines. Like, are you going to help me here, dear? And she, in her defense, said, no, you're the man of the family. It's your job. No, it wasn't quite like that. So I said, like, I'm, gonna, I'm thinking I'm pulled over. No, that would slow me down. I can't be behind that that. Uh, that other car, because we're racing, you know, because there's no speed limit by the time you get to Montana, and that's <laughs> awesome. Um, 120 miles an hour. No, anyway, um, so I go to reach back for him to strangle the little guy, right? Like, and I'm reaching for him, and now he thinks it's a competition. So he starts bobbing and weaving, bobbing and weaving. Oh, Dad, you almost got me. Good one. Ah! And I'm like, I'm going to kill you, you little... F- now, for children, I'm not really going to kill him, just maybe maim him, you know, cripple him temporarily, you know, make his nose bleed. No, no, none of that. But bottom line, now it's really frustrating. And then it came to me, I'm going to, this is going to, maybe this will work. I figure if idle threats don't work, what do you do? Then you try to distract them, right? They tell you, well, distract them, find something that they're more interested in or, you know, get them out of bugging their sister. Well, so I said, hey, kids, kids, kids. And this is back in the day when there are cassette players in your car. Not CD players, cassette players. Anybody still own a car that has a cassette player? They're awesome. They're probably a Camry or a Honda. Anyway, the bottom line is, what is it that has a cassette player? Chevy Malibu. Chevy Malibu, there you go. But that 90s version has cassette players. So we were very intentional parents. So we had just gotten the six-tape series because Katie was preparing for adolescence. She was 11. Uh, preparing for Adolescence by Dr. James Dobson. I thought, well, let's just listen to the first tape, The Canyon of Inferiority. So we put in the tape, and we start listening to it. And I think, okay, it's calmed them down there. My wife is snickering like, this is never going to work. Katie goes, Dad, 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 by the way, I've listened to this. She, we gave her this, all these books she had to rate before she, read before she could ever go out on a date because we figured, give her 100 books, she might be able to go out when she's 32. Um, she was 11. She wasn't really in dating, but she was a reader. So uh, we're listening to this tape, and about three minutes into it, I hear this, Dad! I'm thinking she's murdered the boy. She's taken his life because she could not handle it. But it was John Daniel screaming. I go, good for Katie. She gave him something. What happened? I said, what happened? What's going on? And I'm looking in the rearview mirror. John Daniel said, this guy is so boring. (laughs) And preacher's kid, 10 years old, says, can't you just give us the three big points and the conclusion? (laughs) I said, my son, I'm so proud of you. You've picked up on that. And uh, then it came to me. I have my plan for keeping him quiet. I said, no. 
And I take the tape and I hold up. I'm driving with my hand. I'm waving this. If you touch your sister again, you're going to get six hours of the big guy. <laughs> he sat like that. He never, I mean, he just moved. I held up the tape. It was the most effective discipline program I've ever listened to or used in my life. I've always, I wish I could have told James Dobson how effective those tapes were. <laughs> Not because we listened to them, but I use it as a threat. All right, so the bottom line is all of us got to work on patience. That's probably where we're most inconsistent. And this quote sums it up. Knowing what's right doesn't mean much unless you do what's right. So as we continue this journey, what is it that we should be investing in our kids and our grandkids? Now, if I had time, and this was a Sunday school class, we'd break into small groups, you'd come up with your list, and here's what I want to leave. This is my legacy, all right? By the way, if you haven't found out about Grandparent Matters or uh, the legacy meetings on Monday nights for grandparents, anybody listen to those, those uh, calls on Monday nights? You should get it or email me. Monday nights, it's open to everybody. There's a huge grandparenting summit coming up uh, here this fall, and uh, many of you would be interested in that. So what are some of the things? So uh, I think that uh, a long time ago, this guy named John Maxwell said, take a long time to make a short list about what you really want for your kids. And when our kids were itty-bitty, my wife and I talked about this, and we said, these are the five things. If this were true of our kids, by the time they are out of our home, we will be considered very fortunate, and we'd be blessed. And so let me give them to you. That, by the way, this isn't your list. This might not be your grandparenting list or your parenting list, but they're worthy of you to think, take some time to think about for yourself. So number one, what we wanted from our kids was to love Jesus with all their heart. Love Jesus with all their heart. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Jesus replied, love the Lord with all your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And of course, he's quoting the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, 5, right? And so I didn't want my kids to be lukewarm. I wanted them to be sold out. But so often, Christian kids and pastor's kids are the worst kids on the planet. You go, what happened to this family? Now, that's why God gives you two or more children. At least you can bat 500, or maybe you're 333, or hopefully you're above the Mendoza line if you have four. Bottom line is, Sometimes your kids don't walk with the Lord. So I want to say this. I, my kids are cool with this. We had one that was the straight arrow. That was Katie. Man, she went to Biola, met her Biola Bob, you know, got married out of college. They have five kids. They've been gainfully employed. And uh, <clears throat> they, she's walked with the Lord most of her life. My son, more of the experimental kind. Maybe some of you can relate to that, you know, when you, you talk to him about, you know, all right. Bend over, grab your ankles. The Board of Education is going to meet your seat of your understanding. Do you think he did this? No. He just lifted his leg up like that, you know. He, he always learned the hard way, and he had a very difficult time. In fact, I painfully so. And some of you, this is where it gets kind of serious. Two weeks before his high school graduation, we invited him not to live in our home. And I won't get into all the details. And it took a long time, five, six years, but on 2009, Memorial Day, he gave his life to Christ. Now, this is the kid who, as a six-year-old, prayed the prayer for Awana. So now I'm going to cause a theological controversy because the pastor has to solve this when I get back. Was he a Christian in, in, uh, as a six-year-old or as a 26-year-old? I'll let you decide, but I know now that he loves Jesus with all of his heart, soul, and mind. And so the bottom line is that uh, sometimes they just don't get it. They, this is John's life. If I described John's life back then <clears throat> in his late teens, early 20s, it was like this. This is called Autobiography in Five Short Chapters. I walk down the street. This is chapter one. I walk down the street. There's a hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two. I walk down the same street, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk, I pretend I don't see it, I fall in again, I can't believe I'm in the same place, but is it my fault? Takes me a long time to get out. Chapter 3, I walk down the street, there's a hole in the sidewalk, I see it there, I still fall in, it's a habit. My eyes are wide open, it is my fault, I get out immediately. Chapter 4, I walk down the same street, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk, I walk around it. 
and chapter 5, I walk down a different street. <laughs> that is our kids sometimes. You just knock your head against the wall. And I'm not going to have you raise hands, but some of you have a prodigal. Maybe that prodigal is 35 years old. Some of you are worried about your grandkids and the choices they're making, and they seem to be falling into the same hole, and you so desperately want to rescue them. But as a grandparent, oftentimes you feel like you can only be seen and not heard, and it's painful. I get it. It is painful. Next, I want my kids to have a passion to share Christ as a way of life. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. So if you want them to share your life, share their faith, you probably should be sharing your faith. Remember when uh, I took nine football players from Esperanza High School <laughs> during the Passion of Christ when that was being shown. You know how you get high school players who don't know Jesus to go to a Christian film at a theater? It's called this, if you feed them, they will come. And so I promised them all the In-N-Out burgers they could eat afterwards. And that was an expensive little bill because they were some offensive linemen and they had more than one four-by-four and shakes and french fries. But we went to the movie and then we talked about it afterwards. And though Johnny wasn't a great evangelist, he loved his friends and he didn't want them to die not hearing the gospel. Number three. By the way, that was the prodigal, by the way. The prodigal is the one who loved people deeply. Sometimes your straight arrow kid says all the right things, they, they do all the right things, but do they really love the people around them? See, when you are lost and you are then found, you, you have a great, and I'll tell you more about that later with John Daniel. Number three, I said, let's pray that they'll be able to read the Bible and apply it to daily living. Because I know having a consistent quiet time, being in God's Word is a game changer. Because Joshua 1.8 says, this book of the law shall not depart from you, but you shall meditate on it day and night. It also says in 2 Timothy 2.2, and the things that you have heard with me in the presence of many witnesses and trust are reliable men who will be able to teach others also. So you got to establish that discipline. Now, I love to say that my parents or my youth pastor showed me how to get into God's word. It wasn't that way. You know what happened? I was 12 years old. My parents both worked they had some neighbor friends, and when I was 12, they entrusted me to help with their six-year-old. I don't know why we entrust a 12-year-old boy with a six-year-old boy. That's just like a recipe for disaster. Let me show you things you shouldn't know about. But the bottom line is I did stuff, and the family loved me. And they said, well, well, could John come with us on our family vacation for two weeks in Newport Beach? I'm going, score! Uh, just so that, you know, little John, who was six, had someone like, well, am I a playmate? I'm six years old. I'm supposed to be kind of a role model. Uh, and so bottom line is we did that. I spent two weeks on Balboa Island. So the first morning, uh, first night, I don't sleep very well. I'm, I'm, I, I wake up, and I wake up at like six in the morning. Now, if you're 12 and it's summer, what time is the appropriate time to get up? Noon, 11, 10 at the earliest. It's 6 a.m., for crying out loud, is there a God in heaven? What have you done to me? Why am I waking up at six? So I wake up, I'm, and what is every 12-year-old? They wake up hungry, so let's go find food. Uh, and so I wake, get up, go to the kitchen. There's Dave, who had, the man of the house. He's at the kitchen table, his Bible open, six in the morning, on vacation, reading God's Word. I said, what you doing? And he said, and I quote, I like to start my day hearing from God first before I do anything else. And he was a reader. He loved to read books, Wall Street Journal, businessman, you know. But I start with the Bible. I said, oh, that's cool. Really cool. Anything to eat? He goes, well, there will be tomorrow. I said, oh, okay. He goes, hey, do you want to join me? I said, ah, uh, mm. I just had to go to the bathroom. I'm going back. Around. Okay, well, why don't you join me tomorrow morning? I said, at 6? He said, well, yeah, when you get up. I get up at 11. He goes, and then I'll never get. He said it so smugly. He said, we'll see. <laughs> what do you mean we'll see? You're going to plant a bug in my you know, bed and wake me up? <laughs> you know. So sure enough, the next morning, I'm wide awake at 6. I'm putting a pillow over my head. I'm trying not to see light. I'm like, no! It's two nights in a row. I'm getting up at 6 in the morning. By the way, any of you been there? Like, I just want to sleep in. 
just give me a few more minutes. Well, right now is a perfect time to sleep. Just go for it. I get it. No problem. And so I get up. I go in the kitchen. This time, he's got donuts. Back, remember, Winchell's Donuts? All right? Winchell's Donuts, bag of Winchell's Donuts. And he's got another bag, and there's something in it. But it's not donuts. And he's got his Bible. And he goes, hey, I'm so glad you joined me. I'm thinking to myself, I wasn't planning on it, but I'm here. He goes, I got you two things. I said, great. And I start, is that mine? He goes, yeah, there's donuts and lots of donuts. And so I'm like, oh, good. He goes, but I got you something else. And out of the bag, he grabs the New Testament. And it was the first, when the living Bible first came out, all right? So it's in modern translation. I can understand it, a little Bible like that. And we start reading it together. And he showed me how to read the Bible and understand it. Well, that was easy because I understood that, the old King James version, the King Jimmy version, you know, uh, I was hard to understand. Not that you're hard to understand, by the way. Uh, and not that you're King James. Uh, just Jimmy would be fine. I'm going to stop now before I keep ruining this sermon. All right. Anyway, bottom line is I read it, understood it, and I liked the donuts. Every morning he had donuts. And for 12 straight mornings, I opened my Bible with him, and he showed me how to have a quiet time. That's where I said Sunday school teachers... You're the ones who make a huge difference in the lives of kids. It may not even be the parents. It was a guy who was a friend of my parents. He wasn't even my Sunday school teacher. And I established that discipline in eighth grade when I was, what, 14 years old. And for 52 plus years, is that right? I'm 66. You do the math. A long time. It's been a part of my life. And even when I'm driving, if I didn't get up early enough, I've been reading through Colossians recently, I listen to podcasts. So I listened to a sermon on my way down here. It was awesome. I want to feed myself with God's Word. And so the bottom line is I wanted them to be able to read the Bible and apply it. Fourthly, I wanted to marry a growing Christian. Marry a growing Christian and pass the spiritual baton to their children. Boy, how many of you prayed for your kid's future spouse? Anybody ever prayed for that? Yeah. How many of you prayed for your kids when they were in the womb before they were even born? You're talking to them. What's daddy doing? He's talking to And I remember um, talking to Cheryl's tummy when Katie was in the womb and John Daniel. And from the very early ages, I prayed for their, their, their spouse to be. Katie's been married to a wonderful guy from her Bible of Bob. Thank <laughs> They stayed, they dated. Actually, they kissed dating goodbye. That's a throwback to a book back then. But now they're married, and um, uh, it's awesome. They're doing well. That's because 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And so that's been painful too. John Daniel married a Christian girl who said she was a Christian, and I guess turned out not so much. Some of you maybe married someone that doesn't know the Lord, and it's been painful in your marriage. Or maybe you're worried about grandkids making choices and wondering if they're going to choose wisely. And so the bottom line is it's fun when your kids make good choices. So I remember when Ryan came to meet with me, their junior year at Biola, he says, Mr. Irwin, I'd like to ask your daughter, I'd like to court your daughter. I said, court? That, that sounds official. Sounds like, ooh, like it could lead to something like official and ooh what do you mean by that? He says, well, I've never really dated. And I go, so don't experiment on my, on my daughter. No, I didn't. I was thinking that. And uh, if the Lord wills, then I would, after we court, I would like to propose to her and I would like to marry her. I said, okay. Like when she's 32, right? She's like 21 right now. No, next year when we graduate from college. I went, <coughs> okay. Yeah, well, let's, yeah, okay. So he comes back many months later. I give him a blessing. He said, and we, by that point, we had decided as John's graduation from high school and Katie's pending graduation from college, <clears throat> let's go to Hawaii. There was a ministry there that allowed pastors to stay at their home, and so that's a good price because it was this much. Uh, that's zero. Uh, it was free. And, uh, you know, we, if we can get there, we can go. So he comes to me and says, how about we tell Katie that I can't come with the family and that's where I'll propose to her while you're in Hawaii. I go, well, how can you do that if you're not there? Well, I'm going to fly there early. 
How about the first night you eat dinner at the Hula Grill right there in Maui? How many have been to the Hula Grill? Anybody? If you know what I'm talking about? It's a beautiful spot. And let's, let me propose to her. I said, oh, I love it. Beginning your married life with deceit, <laughs> lying, treachery. Hmm. Sounds like a certain biblical family called David's family. Anyway, uh, I said, sure, let's do it. So we get there. We have dinner that night. He's arranged everything. There's a band playing, blah, blah, blah. And um, so then there's an intermission, and he gets up on the stage. We're over here eating. We're not paying attention. And he starts playing, and John Daniel was, co was told, get your sister out onto the dance floor. He says, hey, Katie, come on, let's dance. This is kind of fun. She goes, what's wrong with you, twisted child? You're my brother. I don't think so. <laughs> come on, Katie. He drags her out of her chair, spins around, and all of a sudden she's crying on the stage. Now, the problem is he had told her he couldn't come. In fact, set her up so bad that the day before we flew out, he drove by with, the, with his, all of his brothers. He's a family of eight, and he has four other brothers. And they, he told them that they were going camping as one last bonding trip with the brothers before he graduated. And they were on their way to, you know, Northern California. Had the van. Remember this? A triptych with all the, you know, the directions, had the ice chest, had the Coleman lantern, everything is, it's a total prefabricated setup. And she sees all that, and they're like, I'll miss you. Yeah, you're going to be gone eight days. I won't see you. And they leave. All they were doing is take them to the airport to fly there a day early. That was it. So it's all set up. Now, she's a firstborn. So firstborns are what? Rule keepers. You could see her hands on her hips going, what are you doing here? I mean, you can see, like, what's going on? He starts singing to her, and then all of a sudden she realizes, and John Daniel gently prompts her to go onto the stage, and we had, they had already prepped all the waiters. There's 400 people in that restaurant. They go silent. I see waiters shush, shush don't put your fork down. I'm going to stab your hand. You know, it's quiet. You can hear just him singing to her. And then he kneels down on one knee and says, Katie Irwin, you were the first girl I ever kissed, and you will be the last. Would you be my wife? And of course, she says, yes, and we have this on tape. I would have played it for you, but my wife is crying uncontrollably. <laughs> and um, they were rock stars that week in Maui. Everywhere went, oh, that's that guy. So people are coming up to the table. That was so meaningful. Every man in the audience is going, dang, that was good. How am I going to follow that up, right? And every girl's thinking, why are you not doing that for me, right? So it was a mixed bag there. Marry God, or marry a growing Christian, a godly guy. Then lastly, we'll wrap this up quick, I think. Um, be involved in ministry and serve God faithfully. Ephesians 4, 11, 12, equipping people for work of the ministry. So I, I want to see my kids serving. We did so much things serving. Some of you feed the homeless. Some of you are involved in vacation Bible school. Some of you do Sunday school, day, whatever, they, missions trips, setting up and tearing down on Sundays. Remember three years ago, we were out there. We were, I spoke out in the middle of that field, and that took a lot of setup to do that. And you guys helped set it up. Your kids saw that. And so loved that for my kids. <clears throat> we modeled it. By the way, they didn't really have sometimes a choice because dad was going, so you're coming. I don't have babysitting. You're going to feed homeless people today. I'm seven. Well, do you want to be homeless? No. Okay, then come with me. All right. <clears throat> now let's wrap it up. Bottom line, what's the method? How do you be a spiritual hero to your kids, your grandkids, your Sunday school class? Three things. Be contagious. Look at Deuteronomy here. Deuteronomy 6. These commandments I give to you today to be upon your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the street, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols, bind them on your foreheads, write them down. Do you think the words in blue, they're active verbs? Is there any time you don't be contagious? You keep it quiet? Uh-uh. You're contagious. That, and when you're contagious, they're contagious. Now, some of you have been contagious in other ways with COVID. Don't, be, don't share that. That's not the one to share. But the bottom line is... The, that God says this is an active thing, and, and you share their, your convictions with them, and you share Christ, like we've said. So let them see that Jesus is something that has infected you in a way that is life-giving and life-changing, right? Number, th number two, 
And this is to dads. Be careful. What, what do I got to be careful about? Look at Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up to the training and instruction of the Lord. Notice it never says moms don't do it because moms seem to figure it out. Dads, we're a little slower. Moms seem to be so patient, kind, nurturing. You know, dads, we're ready to bring the hammer. You know, come on now. Get it right, you know. And so I learned this one time. How many of you remember this guy? Again, I know I'm doing a little retro thing here because I see some of you are even older than I am. Uh, bottom line is, how many of you remember the name Josh McDowell? All right? Now, the kids or the millennials will know Sean McDowell because he teaches a Biola today, you know, today, but his dad. So I'm having breakfast with Josh McDowell one time. <laughs> you go, you're name dropping. I am, shamelessly. Anyway, so that's only for like the seven of you who know who, who he is. But the bottom line is, we're having breakfast. And so what, what's, what's the big deal about parenting? Like, you got any, like, give me a nugget. Give me something that I can take today and use in my own life. And he gave me this diagram. I know it's been attributed to a lot of people, but I got it from Josh McDowell. He said this, rules minus relationship equal rebellion. Write it down. I don't know if you, I think there's spot even in your, uh, maybe not so much, somewhere. Then he says, but relationship with no rules is a revolution, all right? You're going to have conflict. You don't, you know, they're going to riot. You got to have some boundaries there. And by the way, this idea of speaking the truth in love is the same thing, right? All truth, no love, that's harsh. All love and no truth is hypocrisy. So it really follows the same idea. And he says rules plus relationship equal respect. That's like truth and love, grace and truth. You've got to have a balance. He goes, see if that works. And that's what I've tried to live by my whole life is how I balance telling the truth. Because I'm a true speaker, but I'm married to a lover, and so sometimes we conflict on how we approach parenting or decision-making. And she always leads with grace, and I always lead with truth, and somewhere we meet in the middle. Thank goodness. And then lastly, be committed. Be committed to what? This principle from Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, don't give up. I know it's not easy being a parent or a grandparent. I know that COVID has divided families. I know that churches are divided over this stuff. But I'm telling you right now, don't give up. Keep on trying. And to illustrate this, I want to play by far my favorite video that I've ever used any time I've ever preached on this topic. And I want to share it with you. And it's the story of Derek Redmond. And while it's on there, I'll tell you a story you just watch it and listen, okay? It was the 1992 Barcelona Olympic Games. Derek Redmond's a British runner. He's in the, in the semifinal heat of the 400 meter, and he, he was projected to win. And yet as he's running, he feels a twinge in his right hamstring, and he falls to the ground. Everybody else keeps running, his Olympic gold medal dreams are over. And he's paused there. He's got to figure out what to do. They're going to finish the race. And he has a decision to make. But what's amazing is he gets up and he begins to hobble along the track. He's not going to quit. And in fact, over 60,000 fans in the stands begin to clap and cheer solitary runner. You see this guy running out on the, on the track. Well, that's his daddy, Jim Redmond. And little Derek collapses in a puddle of tears on his dad's shoulders. And father and son are going to finish this race. Well, the ever-helpful Olympic official is running up in a panic, and he begins to engage Mr. Redmond. He said, hey, 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 hey. Hey, hey, he is in a race. If you touch him, you'll disqualify him. You can't do this. He says, you bet I can. Get out of here. And so a father and son continue to walk on that track. And isn't that what the father does for us? He who began a good work in you will complete it. But we're all hamstrung by sin. We've all fallen goodness, 
we have a Heavenly Father who comes out on the track of our life, helps us finish the race that we started. He puts our, his arm around us and he says, come on, son, let's finish this. When interviewed by USA Today, he said, why did you do it? He said, what my son began, I decided we'd finish together. And that is the perfect illustration of Philippians 1.6. God started something in your life a long time ago. And if you're a Christ follower, he's not done with you yet. And as the band comes, I want you to think about your life today. You see, he wants to help you. He cares more about that prodigal son or grandson or grandson, daughter or daughter than you do. You see, he's helping them even when you don't see him at work. And the problem is, as a grandparent or as a parent, we just don't have the patience to see, is he going to finish? How will this story end? Can I tell you with someone who's had a prodigal, how it works? When they're going off the deep end and they're 16, 18, 22, or whatever, that's like chapter 7 in a 40-page book. Don't give up hope too soon. Don't ever give up hope. Because you never know the miraculous things that God can do. You say, but I've been praying for this for 30 years. I know. It's not as simple as this. But I can tell you that he who began it, he will complete it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you close your eyes? Bow your heads. And if you're that person, they go, man, I'm, I'm, I've lost some hope. I, I need to be encouraged. I, I, I have a prodigal. Uh, I'm just trusting God for that. Just unashamedly, just look at me because I've been there. I know the despair. Yep, I know. Anybody? Yep. All around here. Okay. Yeah. My prayer for you is that your heart would be enlightened and encouraged today that God's not done with that prodigal of yours. And then others of you, you're saying, man, knock on wood. Man, things are going fine, but man, I just... Don't want that pain. I get it. But you can't live in fear of what the woulda, shoulda, couldas. So live in fullness and grace, knowing that God says this to you. Do not lose hope, because God's going to finish what he began. Thank you, Lord. That's our prayer today as we worship you in conclusion. In Jesus' name, amen.